Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers, episode 7, a very James Bondy, very, very uh, shaken, not stirred episode. Uh, it is called Don't Mess with Catelyn Stark. And uh, we've got with us always Matt, Brooke, and Scatty, myself. Greetings. Good evening. And uh, we'll be doing the same thing we always do for you. We'll be having brief summaries of, of the chapters, uh, five chapters. This week it's uh, Eddard 7, Tyrion 4, Arya 3, Eddard 8, and Catelyn 6. Or that's chapters 30 to 34, according to a wiki of Ice and Fire. Uh, quick reminder, we are spoiler-free until the very end of the podcast where we do a special segment called Davos After Dark. Don't worry, we, we will warn you when that's coming up, so uh, you'll get a little, nice little music cue courtesy of Matt telling you that that's on its way. As always, too, I like to provide just a little reminder. You can give us feedback, ask us questions, encourage us to explore certain things. We've had uh, several users reaching out to us re recently through Facebook and uh, Twitter and the various other locations and nooks and crannies of the web where we exist. But uh, anyway, that's through DavosFingers.com. Uh, email at WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com. Twitter at DavosFingers, or like I said, you can find us and like us on Facebook. And again, thanks to all of our supporters. Uh, you guys have been great and uh, been giving us good information and, and uh, <clears throat> good attaboys uh, every now and then as well. We like you. Indeed. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think for episode seven, uh, Brooke, you're the... You're the showrunner this time, but it's my my chapter to start with. I think is that right? I'm just gonna throw it right back at you. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll consider it thrown. Winter is coming, like a dire wolf prowling in the dark. He'll take off your head, but his friends call him Ned, Warden of the North. Yeah, he's Eddard Stark. All right, so I'll be taking us through the first Ned chapter on uh, tonight's episode. So uh, the, the, episode, the, the chapter starts out with Barris and Selmy, the leader of the King's Guard, and Ned hovering over the dead body of Sir Hugh. Sir Hugh is the boy from the Vale whom, uh, as John, John Aaron Squire, Ned had wanted to interview. Uh, he's been brutally cut down in the previous chapter by Sir Gregor uh, in the preceding days of the jousting. And uh, Ned is saddened that this young boy's life is at an end, at least partially due to his meddling uh, and delay in interviewing him. Uh, Selmy and Ned then head off to Robert's uh, tent uh, to try to keep him from entering the melee. And they find Robert failing to put his armor on because he's grown too fat for it. Uh, so <laughs> Selmy and Ned, they convince Robert that he can't fight in the melee, not just because he's too fat but because they'll all just let him win. It's not true sport, and they figure that that's the one way, really, to get Robert from entering the melee, is to convince him that it won't be fair, it won't be true sport, and that's really what Robert's there for anyway, is to hit somebody and have some true, true sporting fun. So he is going to withdraw off the melee. In frustration, he uh, Triple B dismisses Selmy, and then he and Ned have a nice heart-to-heart -heart that they haven't had in a while, uh, Triple B laments being king. He uh, laments maybe marrying the wrong woman. Uh, he doesn't trust Cersei. He doesn't really like her. Even regrets a little bit his son. Um, he doesn't trust him all the time. He believes specifically that Joff was lying on the trident about, about the direwolf situation. Um, and lastly, he admits to Ned that he needs his help in order to be a good king. That he hasn't been great so far and that you know he needs some help to get there. So they eat breakfast, and Ned, with all of this great discussion with Triple B, 
finally thinks he's reaching him and that he in the future will be able to reach him more and that all this stuff he's discovering maybe maybe Bob will actually listen to this stuff and 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 not just fly off the handle inside with his wife because she says so so it's it's kind of a it's kind of a high point for Ned this this breakfast so after breakfast we get to act 2 of 3 in this loaded chapter this chapter's got tons of content and in act 2 Ned joins Sansa at the the last day of the jousting tourney and if you remember from the last episode we got four competitors left the hound the mountain the knight of flowers which is sir loras and the Kingslayer, Jamie Lannister. And in the first round, the Hound beats Jamie, uh, much to the delight of Sansa, who was cheering for the Hound. Uh, Loras then bests Gregor uh, in a somewhat, uh, a somewhat disputed match where uh, Sir Loras's mare is in heat and distracts Gregor's steed, uh, and and he can't really control him. Gregor, in punishment, murders his horse by chopping at his neck with his sword. Uh, and then proceeds off to uh, to take it out on Loras as well. But the Hound steps in and stops him. And then Loras, at the end, awards the victory of the Joust to the Hound in response for saving his life from the mountain, who would certainly have murdered him. So, the, the last kind of little bit in there is that uh, Ned runs into Arya right around then and uh, tries to convince Arya to take a new dancing master, a new teacher of the sword, but Arya will not hear of it. She loves her Serio Forel, as we know Matt does as well. So, Act 3 of this chapter, moving right along, is it's Ned reflection time. He gets back to his quarters. He's stewing about the death of John Aaron. He's unable to put the pieces together about Gendry. Um, he doesn't really understand the importance of all this and how it all fits together. And then all of a sudden, Varys shows up. He's disguised so well that Ned can barely believe it's him, but it is. And in short order, Varys reveal, reveals a bunch of information. Uh, he reveals that the Lannisters are trying to kill Robert Baratheon, Triple B. He reveals that he didn't trust Ned, and that's why he didn't tell him sooner of these plots, uh, but that Ned has now proven himself, and he thinks he, he does trust him, and that he's doing things for the good of the, of the realm. Um, that Ned is Triple B's only real true friend here, and the one with the most power. Um, this is all coming kind of as a shock to Ned. He tells him on, on the John Aaron front that John was poisoned with the tears of Lise, and also that the killer could have really probably been anybody. There were a lot of people that were close to John, but that he did suspect Sir Hugh. And lastly, the, the last thing in the chapter is that Ned asks, why now? John, John Aaron's been hand for a long time. Why now? And he says, because now John Aaron was asking questions, is Varys' response. Um, questions about what he doesn't say, but uh, that's how the chapter ends. So much good stuff in this chapter. It's just loaded Woo! with content, loaded with... Boy, howdy. Uh, one of my favorite things about this chapter is you get to see Ned happy. <laughs> For like a brief instant, the, the clouds lift away from Ned, and he seems... He seems like he's got hope, which you don't see a lot in him. Um, you know, he's kind of always more eeyore down in the dumps a little bit and, and a very much a, a pragmatist and a realist, but he's hopeful here when he's eating breakfast with Bob and hearing, you know, the chances that maybe, maybe, maybe Triple B will listen to him. His friend of old is coming around, and if he finds the evidence, maybe he'll listen to him. 
And you know what? It made me start thinking about the chapter we just read with Catelyn, uh, who abducted Tyrion with barely more than a wisp of evidence, uh, just on kind of gut instinct and feeling that she wasn't going to get another opportunity like this, and she just took him. And it makes me wonder that if this were Cat in Ned's place, would she have just started talking to Triple B about everything that they'd found and suspected and try to lay it all at their feet? And I want to know what you guys thought. That struck me, and I wanted to know what you guys thought about it. I totally think she would have. This is She would have ran right up to that metaphorical knife and wrapped her hands around it, right? Because <laughs> uh, that's how Catelyn rolls. She's such an interesting character because she can be so compulsive, like that night in Bran's room, uh, stopping the assassin and, and making that split-second decision uh, to take Tyrion. But she can also be so sly and calculating, too. So it's a very um, puzzling question. She's a puzzling character. But I think she would have talked to him about it for sure. Yeah, for sure. Catelyn would have just indeed jumped at this opportunity. Because, as you mentioned, all of the pieces are falling into place. Robert is voicing some of his own suspicions and concerns uh, it would have been the perfect opportunity to finally shed some light on the whole conspiracy going on behind the scenes. But um, here's why Ned, you, you've been in the situation before where you're hanging out with a friend and you've, you've had some opinions for a long time about some certain subject and they finally crack and they just say the smallest little criticism that's in line with your, with your feelings that's and totally flip, what I was just thinking of. I was totally thinking that. Yeah. Open, right? And you're like, yeah! And they suck, too! Gossip floodgates like, open. The yeah, floodgates yeah. open, and, they, and, then, and the information just pours out, and you can't, you can't hold it back anymore. It's like, Robert has said, my wife kind of sucks. You know, and I got bad advice from John Aaron to marry her, and I'm not so sure about my son, either. He seems... I just don't understand how he came from me. We seem so different. Like, how does it just not pour out of him? Like... I think the Lannisters are evil, too. Uh, it's like yeah. Aunt Scott. Wait, you love Kevin Smith movies? I love Kevin Smith movies! <laughs> yes. It's like I me and both of you. Oh, you it's guys like... love to judge? I love to judge, too! Let's judge together! Yes. We have something in common. I remember that day, Matt. We were, uh, I think we were just Skyping back and forth, and, it was, and one of us just mentioned a Kevin Smith movie, and we're like, you like Kevin Smith? I like Kevin Smith. How have we not talked about this before? And it was, great it was over from there. Yeah, that's right. Especially considering your uncanny physical resemblances to Kevin Smith and other guy. Jason Mewes What's is his, his name. name. Jason, Jason Mewes. Yes. Oh, <laughs> so close to Halloween. Halloween costume is coming yes. together. It's not. Last yeah. year, remember, Scad, we said we'd be Jay and Silent Bob, and it never came together. I Too know. Next year. Maybe next year. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I, I just thought it was it was something that struck me, and Ned's Ned's kind of more cautious. And, you know, this is the king we're talking about, right? You can't just come to him with anything, but I just kind of feel like the barriers finally dropped, and this was his chance, and he was still just a little too cautious about it. I got to get my proof, you know? And he, he has been tipped off at this point by Littlefinger about the little the little spies that are roaming all over the place. I wonder if he's nervous about that too. Oh, good point. Uh, tent, the walls of tents aren't exactly thick and private. So uh, maybe that was on his mind. Yeah, potentially. Also, I, have, 
I doubt he wants to assume complete responsibility for the outcome of Robert blowing up um, <laughs> on, on one hand with rage for all of these accusations and like, you know, start laying down um, yeah, his wife and, and her family. Or on the other hand, rage at Ned for perhaps colluding uh, behind Robert's back because he has developed some paranoia in his older age. So mm-hmm. I think Ned definitely is a is a smart guy to play it safe, but at the same time, if it were Cat, yeah, such a good opportunity. Yep. Yeah. Well intuited, Brooke. Indeed. <laughs> well, one of the other things that happens uh, right before that, and this is something we've touched on before, but Triple B is just lamenting this life that he has. Oh, it's so terrible to be king. I know. Yeah. Uh, Life's uh, so hard, Baratheon. I can't go out riding my horse with my sword and kill people. Right. Something we've been through before. But he's just a guy that... He's just a man of action. Ironically, now he's grown so fat because he doesn't have anything to take action on, no cause to fight for. But I just... I know I, I know I'm a I'm a triple B apologist, but I love the guy. I just feel bad for him. I, I, he's a neglectful king, sure, but I just feel like he needs something more to live for, and he doesn't have it. Yeah, they. If you if if the realm was continually at war, he'd probably be a fantastic king. Yeah, he'd be a great king, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. He'd have that that outlet is what it is. And and it seems like a very serious outlet taking the lives of other people and putting the lives of your constituents at at stake. But that's, that's his outlet. And uh, now he just kind of eats and drinks his feelings. I think. Yeah. It feels like a a large spoiled child because he is so privileged being King and he has all of this food and booze and women at his disposal. Well, of course he's going to take advantage of it. He's a man of extremes. So yeah, he's going to take and take and take, even mm-hmm. if it is self-destructive. Yeah. I hear yeah, you, man. Himself. Can't come at me with like six cupcakes. Only one. Just one. <laughs> I'll eat all six. I don't give a fuck. Oh. Getting serious now. I'm pretty sure I've said that word a bunch of times on this podcast already. <laughs> if there are people that are afraid of, of the word fuck, careful. they're gone. <laughs> And it's, it seems like Robert is, is just this inept king, but he doesn't have to be like, it seems like he's brought it on himself. It's, it's kind of self-imposed. He could do more, but, but he's not. And, and I think it is, I think we've touched on it. I think he doesn't have that outlet. He doesn't have something to live for. Uh, he's, I I think you nailed it. He's got kind of a self-destructive personality and the way that he, harness that before was by putting himself in battle type situations and now he can't so he's got to feed that self-destructive personality some other way and it happens to be really detrimental um but uh, that that line is so poignant the i was never so alive as when i was winning this throne or so dead as now that i've won it yeah he's he's given up yeah he's done yeah and i don't know i from my point of view, he's just exhausting. If I had to know him in real life, he'd be one of those people I'd be really anxious around because he constantly needs to be entertained. He's always looking for what's happening next. Uh, he's always looking for something better. It's just like, oh, man, exhausting. And obviously it's kind of imploded on him. He also doesn't have anybody that's willing to check him. When right. those people <laughs> – it's like my child, Luke. It's like if you don't check him, he'll keep demanding new stuff. 
You have to have some. You have to. You have to have somebody who's gonna check him and be like, "No, you know what? No, that's that's it." Are you mean, Dad? Am I a mean dad? Nice mom, mean dad. Oh, uh, I think we probably swap roles quite a bit, but mm. take that however you like it. But um, <laughs> I think Ned is that person for for Triple B, and finally he has somebody telling him like no that's not how it's gonna be and i think i think he even i think robert even sees it and when he when he gets called on it just like a child like you said brooke just like a child when they actually get the boundaries set for them they're better for it and they know they're better for it right Mm. he sees he's like look with you we can make this a rain that will be sung for years people will love our rain as long as you help me out he can see it good point someone to call him on it yeah yeah, for sure. You nailed it. Yeah, I was thinking about that on the drive home today. The types of things I think about in my car as I'm driving. I was thinking about George Lucas and the new Star Wars movies. Um, ooh. Not, ooh, not the new Star Wars movies, the the prequels, excuse oh, me, episodes ooh. one through three. And and no, this is exactly what I was thinking. The One of the reasons I think they were so bad oh. is because George, Scott and I have talked about this before, yeah. George took too much upon himself and he didn't have anyone to check him. There, he wrote the script all by himself and no one to come in and say, yeah, maybe this Jar Jar Binks character isn't <laughs> such a good idea or anything like that. He just did it all himself. Maybe cut the pod race to 12 minutes. <laughs> Instead of half the movie. I don't want to go down that wormhole right now. You guys don't want me to go down that wormhole right now. But uh, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. You gave me everything I wanted with all the Padme costume changes. Those were some beautiful movies. Sorry, keep going. Uh, Yeah. Did you know? Did you know fact? We're way off tangent here, but on a tangent here, but Kira Knightley, one of the doubles... One of the yeah. handmaidens. Yes, one yeah. of the handmaiden doubles for for Padme. She's like the primary uh, switcher doubler person. All right, so I didn't shock anyone. Everyone knew that. Fucking great. She was in like the the last. <laughs> yeah, why don't you go to your corner now? <laughs> I'm so excited. She was in the last scene uh, where they're like giving out the awards. Anyways, she's a lot clearer there. Uh Robert Baratheon though, what a guy. What else we got, Brooke? We're talking about Game of Thrones here. So one of uh, the reasons Robert's saying that he's stayed on the throne is because he's worried about his son Joffrey getting it. Can we talk a little bit about uh, how he suspects that his son was actually lying uh, on the trident and how he admits that to Ned and... uh, Maybe what that means about Ned's investigations, or not, or we again. could not. Oh, uh, I was, I, I I was going to go. Again. I was going to go to the parenting well again, and I don't know how how bored people get of that. But it's it's like you know you know your kids, you know you you know them, and you you kind of know when they're full of shit and when they're not. And you know, I think he. I don't think he's. Uh, you know, this is a weird time. You know, a Renaissance type time period. It's not like our time period now, but. Still, you you know your kids, and you know Joffrey's been alive for fourteen. I think he's fourteen or fifteen years, right? And uh, Robert knows him, and he knows when he's full of it. And I think he knew, and and he knows his nature. Yeah, I think he knew. I think he was just 
in his well, cups and not strong enough at that point well, to he was being a strong arm by CRC too. Yes, I don't <laughs> yeah, that's where I was going. I don't I think he was in his cups partially, but he just was not strong enough at that point to face Cersei and 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 pull it to a head. Yeah, I I think that this is a great a great avenue to go down, Brooke. Uh, but and the reason I didn't speak up right away is I was trying to gather my thoughts because I think this is exploring a bigger topic than just this, and that is Robert's relationship with his in-laws, or his wife and her family, the Lannisters, and uh, you see the distrust and mistrust that's there, and I think he just projects that onto Joffrey, knowing that she he is his mother's son uh, more than he'll ever be his father's son. And he just, that, that mistrust or that lack of confidence that he has in the rest of the Lannisters, I think he's just all automatically projecting that onto his son. You know what, though? For I, good wanna, reason. I don't want a sob story about Triple B and how his children, you know, are, are, are mama's boys. It's like, you know what? Be a dad. Like sure. the, the impression I get from him is that he's not that engaged. He's not? And, no. You know, it's easy to be overwhelmed by the Lannisters. They're, you know, and everyone can that, read what the Lannisters are, but get engaged, you know? That's completely part of the reason Joffrey is the way he is. He wants attention, and he yeah. wants the attention from his father. He's got daddy issues. Yeah. Did that satisfy your questions, Brooke, or, or did you not want the uh, advice from two two dads? No, no, I I totally agree. I just think that coming to the conclusion that Robert should just be a better parent is not admissible because he's the king. Like he's he's it's like a whole nother ball game of parenting, right? He's not expected to have a real close personal relationship with Joffrey. Sure. In fact, why, he's why? got other that's a paid trope. that's a trope that I don't know that we should just accept. We had a lot of tropes that I don't think that we should accept either, but I think that it it is what it is. Well, but but I'm sorry. You know what? I'm not defending it or excusing it. I'm just saying yeah. I think that is the complication here. It is. And it is. He's he's supposed to be very busy. Um, yeah, but he can find time to go whoring whenever he wants, but not exactly. be a dad. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's, it's a bit of a double standard. I get what you're saying, Brooke. But yeah. just be happy he's not sleeping with his son. Ooh. That could be happening too. Yuck. <laughs> My God. <laughs> it's not about how much time you're spending with your kids. It's, it's about, about what you're doing with that time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was oh, going to say. And then, look, you said that. And then I, I only see him one night a year, but that one night. <laughs> What did I do? Okay. Um, Back on track. Great, great chapter. How are you guys feeling about moving on? Yeah, we can move on. I just okay. want to point out quickly the Liana stuff. Uh, we we get it revealed to us. I can't remember right. if it is in this chapter, maybe a chapter from last week's reading. I don't remember. Uh, but we find out that Liana potentially or most likely did not share the depth of feeling for Robert that he did for her. Well, it comes into question in this chapter for sure during their conversation yeah. where Robert is is sure that, that – oh, what did he say? That him. he would have been better off with Liana, and, and uh, 
Ned's like, uh-huh. yeah. Specifically, it comes up about like, the melee. Oh, you didn't really know her. Specifically, yeah. it comes up about the melee. He's like, Leanna would have let me fight in the melee. There you go. And, and, and Ned says, Leanna would have called you a damn fool. Right. Forbid it. You didn't know her like I did. And the, the exact quote is, you never knew Leanna as I did. And it just, it casts a little light. It's like, you know what? This Maybe this was a little bit more obsession on one side than it was real relationship. Or, you know, maybe there was some childhood infatuation or something, but they didn't know each other really, really well. It, there's definitely some doubt, for sure, creeping into it was, Ned's, Ned's yeah, it was, point of view. It was very one-sided, and he he recalled a conversation where she expressed serious doubts about Robert's fidelity if they ever were to be married. Um, well-founded doubts. And, uh, and yeah, I, I think ah, she was just not that into you, man. Hold on. Well-founded <laughs> doubts. Uh, that's a little harsh for Triple B to me. We don't know what he would have been like if he'd have been with Leanna. It might have been uh, okay. It's based on his, if I were based on his past. I probably She's would be... doubting it based on his past. and what he's... By that time, he already had at least one bastard, right? Yeah, but he'd never been married before. He'd never been forced to commit and, and, be, and live that life. Yeah. There are a lot, hey, there are a lot of dudes that do that. That go yeah, buck sure. wild and then settle down and are completely, completely normal dudes that are committed. Yeah, and I agree, I agree. with you completely, but... I don't. You don't. Think I don't that's blame. Possible. I don't blame Liana for being worried sure. about. It. Yeah, sure. I agree. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Last thing. I know. I said I was done, but uh, just throw in last. Just one liner. Gregor Clegane is fucking crazy. Yeah. Just throwing that in there. Psycho. So yeah. crazy. At least according to Ned. Complete we psycho. got a really good look at at just the depths of his depravity for sure in this uh, in this chapter through Ned's like review of the gossip about him the dead wives the dead servants the yeah. scared dogs the, the dead babies uh, dead babies dead father scarred yeah. brother yeah. i didn't go into it in my summary just because i thought it was a lot of needless detail but he's there's a lot of questionable questionable dubious stuff in his past and the fact that he murdered sir hugh according to the hound should not surprise us based on what ned is laid out at our feet as for his history in a world that's run by games and trickery and and back talking and double crossing people having a character that's just bereft of all morals and conscience is a really scary thing right <laughs> and you know what a lot of the time those characters are uh i'll just say it again backdoorsy backstabby type characters characters more like baelish in this case, he's like the most powerful dude in the kingdom, physically. And he's that way, completely bereft of the morals, you know? Yeah. Kind of cool. Yeah. Good decision from Gurm. <laughs> um, Matt, how, how are you feeling about getting going on Tyrion here? Uh, I would love to. Okay. Cripples and bastards and broken things But the power of the mind can give you wings Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies Tyrion, Lannister, or Imp, if you please So, Tyrion's chapter uh, We finally get back to Tyrion and Catelyn's story We were left off at that uh, stunning, breathtaking uh, exchange At the end of the crossroads where Catelyn called for the men to help her arrest Tyrion Lannister in the inn. 
Fast forward now to Tyrion watching his poor horse get butchered for food. Uh, he's cold, he's dreary, he's hungry. He's reflecting and brooding on the fact that that horse was a gift from Jamie that he got for his name day, which in uh, Westeros or World of Ice and Fire speak means your birthday. And uh, just a bad time for Tyrion. Apparently everyone's hungry and they've re resorted to killing horses to uh, to eat. He's reflecting on what happened since the end, and finally we get to hear about the rest of the story through Tyrion's reflections. Uh, we find out that Catelyn gains support, but Tyrion is quick to note that he do she does not gain the support of everyone in the room. Just a dozen or so jumped up uh, when she called for them to arrest Tyrion after claiming that he had uh, been the person who was instrumental in trying to murder her son. Uh, they did arrest Tyrion, and he... Uh, cleverly, instead of trying to fight it out with all of these people, said that he would travel to Winterfell with Catelyn to answer to the charges and would go without a fight. And Catelyn proclaimed very loudly that they were going to Winterfell. She did it a couple of times. She's like, I can just imagine the, so while we're on our way to Winterfell, just like saying it like five <laughs> times, uh, she throws a bag over his head, throws him on a horse, and then instead of going to Winterfell, she heads promptly east to the Vale. So, Scad, say your little tagline for getting out maps. Sakin sus mapas. Thank you. And they head from the Inn at the Crossroads, uh, which which is just a little bit north of Harrenhal and Derry. And they're going to head, instead of heading north up to Winterfell, they're going to head kind of northeast up to the Vale of Arryn, which, as you will remember, is where John Arryn is from and where Lysa Tully, or Lysa Arryn, fled after John's death and where she is now. So now we know where they're going. We talked about Kat being at that literal crossroads last chapter of where she could go up, left, right, down, and she's chosen to go to the east to see her sister in the Vale. Um, and uh, on the journey there, things are... Oh, I did laugh when Roderick Cassell, as they're leaving the inn, Cat's buddy Roderick tells everyone not to tell anybody about what just happened, which is just hilarious <laughs> to me. Like, are you kidding me? Like, these are the celebrities of Westeros, all right? The celebrities of Westeros are the major families. This is, like, all over the Westeros version of E! News and stuff. This is like, like Benefer back in the Ben Affleck, uh, Jennifer Lopez days. It totally it's, – it's like it's – like, who was it who, who punched Justin Bieber at that club a few months ago? Was it Orlando Bloom? I think it was Orlando Bloom, like, punched Justin Bieber. That would be, like, them what? punching. That would be, like, that happening and then Orlando Bloom being like, oh, hey, everybody, don't tell anyone, you know? Like, uh, <laughs> put away your cell phones. Delete your videos. Uh, I do Orlando Bloom impersonations, by the way. Spot on. Yeah. Like Legolas has joined us. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, so that's how that's how we've gotten to the point that we're at. Cat, um, of course, pulls off uh, the the hood that Tyrion was wearing, and Tyrion is incredibly disappointed that Catelyn managed to outwit him um, in uh, tricking him. He thought he was going to Winterfell, and sure enough, he's going to the Vale. He laments a little bit, knowing that anyone, any uh, Lannister faithful who were well, a either faithful to the Lannisters or b thinking they could save Tyrion, take him back to 
Tywin and get some money off of it, uh, they would be riding up to Winterfell and would never know that he went east instead of north. Um, it's a very harsh environment. They're cold. They're hungry. There's feral beasts called shadow cats. I imagine them being the equivalent of like mountain lions. Um, and then mountain clans. So these clansmen, these kind of, uh, I don't know how else to describe them other than like these feral guys that are kind of savages living up in the mountains. Uh, and they tend to attack travelers. It's, uh, it is a danger going to the Vale and, and getting through these mountain clans. Um, it is important to notice that Tyrion loses his hood and eventually his bonds as well. So his handcuffs and everything, he's, he's free to just kind of ride. And as they're riding, he starts trying to prove his innocence to Catelyn. And I think he makes what's probably the best point he could make of why would he give his incredibly conspicuous Valyrian steel dagger to the assassin to use in the assassination attempt? Why would he use something that could be traced directly back to him? Uh, Catelyn stops to pause and think about that for a minute. You can see the doubt in her face when all of a sudden one of those mountain clans attacks uh, one of their scouts or their spotters well one of um cat's spots spotters comes back and says they're coming the clansmen are coming and they get ready to to fight she's got about if i'm not mistaken about a dozen guys with her they get ready to fight uh, Tyrion asks for a weapon which of course cat refuses until Tyrion makes the point that it would be much more efficient to give him a weapon and let him fight rather than leaving him tied up and with having to have a guard of a couple guys who would have to guard him instead of joining in the fighting. So she eventually lets him have a weapon and he receives an axe. He has no idea how to use an axe to which one of the cell swords who's with them, Braun, says, just pretend like you're uh, chopping wood, you're cutting logs. And he prepares for battle. And then the battle starts, and it's very well described by George R. R. Martin. Scott brought up, as we were discussing before this podcast, about how well he describes George R. R. Martin handles battle scenes, and he does a great job of doing that. And I just imagine like Tyrion just jumping out of the woods and just like hacking at guys' legs. How scary would that be? Like this little gnome just like jumps out of nowhere, just takes out your legs, and then he's back into the woods, you know? Like... <laughs> formidable for sure it's just this freaky part of the battle that you're not expecting as as a warrior to have this little dude coming out and hacking at your legs uh this so giving the weapons to Tyrion proves to be a good choice as towards the end of the battle um Tyrion actually saves Catelyn's life she's surrounded by a few clansmen Tyrion ambushes him jumps up behind him takes out a few legs with his axe and Catelyn even does the rest uh, slitting the guy's throat and stuff um the battle ends, and uh, we get a great little exchange that shows how Tyrion is starting to get into the heads of his guards a little bit. Tyrion's very sly. Where is it? So he says a little exchange here. So after the fighting, uh, Braun, the sellsword, says, you need a woman now. And he talks about how, you know, after a fight, the best thing to get is a good woman. And uh -huh. Tyrion glances over to where Lady Stark was dressing Ser Roderick's wounds. And then he says, I'm willing if she is. And the free riders broke into laughter, it says. And uh, so Tyrion, you see, is starting to get into the heads of these guys a little bit, starting to play his game. And uh, as they're riding and continuing on with traveling, uh, they convince Catelyn that they need to get right back on the road. They can't bury their dead or anything. Three had died in the attack. And uh, Catelyn says, we need to bury our dead. They say, no, we need to get moving before someone attacks us again. And as they're riding away, Tyrion remarks, there's one other thing that you've got wrong with your claims against me. And she says, what? And he says, I never bet against my family. 
referring to Littlefinger's claim that Tyrion had actually bet against his brother in the joust when the when the dagger was transacted. So a great little chapter. We get some action. We start to see Tyrion at his finest, uh, even physically starting to get in on the action a little bit. He relies so much on his intellect, and this time he also relies on some physical capabilities. Yeah, you got the impression it was super invigorating for him. Right. I'm sure probably, yeah, for anybody killing a man for the first time. Even before it got true started, defense. even before it got started, uh, you know, Roderick Cassell shouts Winterfell and somebody else shells, yells out Harrenhal. And, and he's like, I almost wanted to just jump up and yell for Castle Rock. Castle right? Rock, yeah. And like, the back, he hasn't even started yet, but the blood is boiling already. Mm-hmm. Ready to go. Lots of adrenaline. Yeah. I know, I know I put this in there. Maybe we don't want to talk about it, but it just seems he's never really been trained probably much. Just running around hacking people. I don't know. I think it was. Yeah, the... I think it... Go, ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Nope. I think it was a, a, an element of surprise that they just don't expect. And, and remembering that these guys are on horses a lot of the time, some of them, uh, they've got these helmets on that limit their vision. So they've got a really bad field of view. They're not seeing something come up right under their legs, you know, and hacking at them. They're used to looking a man in the eye when they're fighting him. Yeah, I I think I think he could have done some damage in in reality with that axe. So I agree. I I feel it's very believable. It's a combination of that his his element of surprise and that he is not your typical uh, combatant, uh, mm-hmm. combined with his own quickness. And also, it sounds like he has a lot of pent up bloodlust. Like, <laughs> and this was a great opportunity just to to let it go. Like he did not hold back. He's like, yep. Yeah, here it goes aggression time. So right. now, if they now if the same guys would have come back, like the ones who did escape the battle, go back to their buddies and say, "We're going to attack again, but look out for the little guy. Like keep an eye on the ground." Then he yeah. might not have been as effective. But this time, he had a bit of an element of surprise combined with. I I do agree with the bloodlust thing. So I've not been a huge yeah. fan of the new Hobbit movies. I only saw the first one actually. <gasps> really? Yeah, oh, but. Yeah. But one of the things in the in the in that movie that I remember was was some of the fight scenes with the dwarves, and it's almost like comedy of error fight scenes where they're like they're living and they're these warriors and whatever. And you're supposed to believe they're good, but they also like seem to just barely by luck be getting getting missed by being killed. And like I kind of imagine this is what's happening to Tyrion. He's just kind of through stroke of luck, just kind of making his way through this battle and mm-hmm. getting missed. And I don't. Do you know what I'm talking about in those movies? Yeah, yep. for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah, they just roll the fat guy down the hill and he knocks over a bunch of orcs or whatever. And... Yeah, it's just kind of like silly. Yeah. yeah you know. Hey, whatever works. Whatever yeah. works. Yeah. But uh, to go back to your last point, Matt, the whole little finger telling the story of of Tyrion losing the dagger because he bet against his brother. I, I feel like that is a deliberate little finger mistake. Like Littlefinger would have picked up on that mm. uh, that habit of Tyrion's, right? It would have been well known. Like they would have been bugging Tyrion all the time. Well, I know you're betting on your brother, but he's got a limp leg today, and Tyrion would be like, "No, it doesn't matter," right? Like he would have known. So why did he feed them that lie? Right. Yeah. So now he's feeding them lies. We're so talking just, about this is like an inception of conspiracies that you're getting after. Yes. 
Totally There's like totally layers is. of it. Yeah. Yes. Oh, lying about lies. No sense. No sense. Yeah. Just like this. Just shit stirring. Little finger. Big spoon. And we he just is heard Renly far and away the hardest the guy thing. for me to get my hand around. Or my head around. <laughs> <laughs> Don't edit that out. Keep it in. <laughs> That's my ringtone. <laughs> I'm sorry, Scott. We started talking at the same time. No, I, yours was funny. Mine's just lame now. Uh, we just heard from Renly uh, that he indicated that he would have doubled his money that he won from Littlefinger if Tyrion had been there to also bet on Jamie. right? We heard that mm. in the Ned chapter previous. That's uh, true. Because Renly bet on, on uh, the Hound who, who right. unhorsed Jamie, And so we in consecutive chapters, I, I'm agreeing with Brooke, in yeah. consecutive chapters we've been given these incidents. It's like, you know, several chapters ago Littlefinger says – yeah, and and uh, I wanted off off of off of Tyrion because he bet against his brother. Several chapters later, we have Renly saying he certainly would have bet with his brother, and I would have won money. Right. And then now we have this Tyrion saying I never bet against my family. They're like it's just like ding 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 right in a row. <laughs> and I agree with Brooke. I think it's it's meant to tell us that yeah. Littlefinger Littlefinger Littlefinger's got some game going on. He knows that people would would not believe this, and you can't get your hand around it. I can get my hand around a lot of things, but this one is tough. <laughs> the little finger is hard. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, one final thing to maybe talk about this chapter for me anyways, uh, is I think that, you know, sure. Tyrion felt outwitted when he finds out that they're going to the Vale instead of North to Winterfell. But in all reality, when you'd step back and look at the situation, it couldn't be better for Tyrion and the way that he acts and the way that he relies on his um, relationship building and also his uh, his intellect. Everywhere he goes, he gets people to love him. Remember how much Robb Stark hated him and then he loved him by the end of the visit uh, when Tyrion went to give Bron or um, Bran the plans to mm. for his saddle. Uh, same with the Night's Watch, these grizzled men that just loved Tyrion when he left. And if Catelyn would have taken Tyrion by some sort of subterfuge, kind of like we hinted at in the last episode with Brooke talking about, you know, taking him in the middle of the night and torturing him and stuff, it might have been worse for Tyrion. But him uh, giving getting some air to breathe, in other words, getting arrested in front of all of these people who can tell the tale, and then having all of these guys whose loyalty to Catelyn Stark really varies. It's, it goes up and down depending on the person. I think it puts her right in his wheelhouse. And he starts playing his games with her almost instantly. I wouldn't say games, but using logic to prove why it's not him. And then he also starts uh, weeding his way into the minds of the other men in their party. And you're starting to, to get little hints at that. I, I think Tyrion's... Tyrion's definitely got the upper hand on this. He knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, for now, he might. Yeah, as far as this chapter a little, goes. He's yeah. about to get a little fucking crazy. Yeah. One chapter <laughs> at a time, Scad. Yeah. Just one chapter at a time. <laughs> uh, anything else on this chapter, guys? Just the, just the really quick, uh, less than a minute on this. I, I've mentioned in previous episodes how much I love how Martin just f flips things totally around in a single line. And he does it several times, and this is another example. He sets this whole chapter up. Uh, he spends like three pages 
you know, setting the whole thing up and Tyrion getting people to follow him up to Winterfell and it's going to be a race to Winterfell and everyone's thinking about how that's going to go. And then in one line, Tyrion takes off his hood and said, this is the high road, the eastern road. Mm. And you're just immediately flipped and you're like, whoa, he like he just set three pages up for this one line and it's just masterful. Yeah, it really compounds how much Caitlin screwed him. It's yeah. great. Anyway, that was, I just wanted to drop that in about the writing. It is great. All right. Uh, next chapter is Arya's third chapter. Oh, yeah. Horse face. Underfoot. Sticking with the pointy end. Arya. Underfoot. Horse face. Sticking with the pointy end. Um... We enter with Arya still chasing down Castle Cats at the order of her sword fighting instructor, Sirio. Uh, the training is paying off because she's actually caught and presented all of the cats except for one, a wily black tomcat with one ear who is legend among the castle inhabitants. Um, so while she's chasing this little bugger down, she runs into the Princess Marcella and Prince Tommen with their little entourage. And they literally don't recognize her, all scratched and dirty and barefoot, and think she's a homeless boy up to mischief. So she uses the opportunity to test her training and manages to evade the guard that the princess and prince are with. And there is a merry chase through the complex, uh, uh, the Red Keep, and you can practically hear like the Benny Hill music in the background. It's great. Uh, the point of the scene is that in the chase, Arya ends up in a part of the castle that she's never been to before. And it's a good find. It's where they shucked all of the dragon skulls that we know once hung in the throne room when the Targaryens ruled. And I can only imagine what it took to get them all down and transported. But I find it interesting that Robert didn't order them destroyed. My personal headcanon is that he did order them destroyed, but some thrifty maesters were like, well, shit, the realm probably hasn't seen the last of the Targaryens, so we'll just keep these here. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I won't get into discussion. <laughs> um, uh, she's sneaking back to the part of the castle. She oh, and she doesn't actually recognize them as dragon skulls. It's, it's I, I feel like it's very obvious in their description to us what they are, and Ned has described them in his past musings before, but she thinks that they're monsters, so she doesn't know that they are dragon skulls. Anyways, she's sneaking back to a part of the castle she knows, and she hears two voices um, and the light of a torch coming up a deep dark staircase and side note as starks will do she reminisces about an old nan tale about the steps that lead into hell and i believe this is the first time that hell as a concept is actually mentioned in this series or it's the first time that i've actually noticed it's just interesting that it exists since i feel like it's very like um it's a like a christianity based type concept i mean lots of religions have hells but this is hell anyways uh, I could go into a lot of detail about what she hears here, but you've read it too. So I'm just going to cover the important points because we've got a lot of meat in these chapters, as you guys mentioned before. And uh, because we're, we're, we're getting one of those great uh, George third party perspective chapters in that Arya doesn't know what she's hearing. Uh, very similar to what Bran heard when he was in the, uh, tower window and he overheard the Lannister twins. Um, we can make lots of speculation, but let's just focus on what we can understand uh, without Arya's 
own, I guess, uh, understanding. So Arya doesn't recognize either of the men that she has run across down in these deep hallways. Um, and we can muse on who they are, but since we as the Davos Fingers team have read the books, we know who they are. And to avoid yanking our listeners around, I would say make your own guesses with the clues you've been provided with. Who they are is not as important as what they're saying, since it's safe to assume that everyone in King's Landing is like riding dirty. Um, I'll let my Davos Fingers teammates argue against the story or discussion if they want to. But in the meantime, what they're saying is one, they know that Ned has been Alex Mackin it all around King's Landing and has found one of Robert's bastards. The lion and the wolf will soon be at each other's throats, one of them says to the other, and it's too soon for war, we should delay. So they know that the wolves, the Starks, and the lions, who are the Lannisters, are on the cusp of potential war. So all of our discussion about you know, Ned and Catelyn being paranoid and taking extreme measures are actually totally justified. They also mentioned that Liza Aaron and Stannis Bartharian are both out of reach, but they are both rumored to be gathering swords around them. So we know that both Liza and Stannis, um, who abandoned the Red Keep after John Aaron was murdered, are uh, people with potential information for sure. It's it's no longer just one of one of Ned's beliefs. It is very much possible. Another thing they mention is that Loras, the Knight of Flowers, wants his sister, Marjorie, a comely lass of 14, so totally marrying age, to come up to King's Landing for Robert to take as a wife instead of Cersei. So they're dangling some sweet meats in front of Robert uh, to get her to get him away from the Lannisters. And the two men that Arya is spying on who are discussing this don't really have an opinion one way or the other, whether this is good or bad. It's just what is happening. Lastly, they know about Danny being knocked up across the sea. And it's part and that and them knowing that is part of this carefully juggled group of pieces that is keeping war from happening immediately. So we get like just a crap load of, of information out of these guys that again, Arya as a third party listener is not completely processing, but we are, 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 are getting, getting a lot of, of, of good uh, juicy tidbits. Um, so Arya ends up losing them and spills out of the castle grounds through storm drain and then bullies her way back into the castle when nobody believes that she's the hand's daughter. They think that she's a, a little homeless boy again. Unfortunately, when she goes to tell Ned about what she heard, she finds Ned tired and totally dismissive. Even in her child's retelling of what she heard, she literally gives him every clue he need to figure out what is going on. And he's like, oh, sweetling, you need to slow your roll. And as a reader, it is infuriating. So even though you're probably in a rage spiral, just like me right now, I'll mention that the chapter ends with uh, Yorin, the Night's Watch recruiter, coming into Ned's rooms and mistaking Arya for a boy. So that's like the third or fourth time that day she's starting to embrace it. And uh, he wants to talk to Ned alone. So uh, Ned ushers her out and says, we'll discuss everything in the morning. And that is the chapter. 
so a, a lot of stuff to touch on, but what I want to mention first is there was a legitimate reason for Laura's flashing that locket yes. uh, or Ren Renly flashing that locket of Marjorie. Loris's sister, this 14-year-old who would be just an excellent uh, bait for for Robert, showing that locket to Ned and asking him if Marjorie looks like Leanna, Ned's dead yeah. sister, who Robert was totally in love with. So... <laughs> I totally liked our theory of him just trying to not look gay. <laughs> <laughs> trying to hide his own sexuality yeah right so there was a really good reason for it so this also means that renly is in on this scheme that he wants cersei out as well so we know that loris has written to his father in highgarden saying send my sister bait but renly is the one who showed the locket to ned mm -hmm. so Renly is most likely in on this scheme to get Cersei out and Marjorie in the bed. So, A really cool discovery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, but we don't know if the motivations are the same, though, right? Mm -hmm. We just know that someone that he wants he wants to make a power play of some sort, and it includes the Tyrells. Um, but we don't know that he's completely connected to the others yet. We can assume he is, right? But we can yeah, also... Yeah, no, very could, true. There could be multiple power plays going on here. Mm -hmm. But keep in mind that this is this now very much probably means that every single Bartharian brother <laughs> has, has something going on. Right. <laughs> so none are to be trusted. So Renly coming off as like a, a good kind of jovial dude is... Uh, yeah, he's probably in on the schemes too. Yeah, well I, think just, I think it just goes out to say that every, everyone is playing games. Everyone. The Baratheons who seem maybe What's like the they're just meatheads, even they're playing games. <laughs> right? Yeah. So no one is to be trusted. Littlefinger's only only advice that you should ever take from Littlefinger. No one should be trusted. Yeah. Right. Especially himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and everybody plays by those rules. Varys, at the end of the first Eddard chapter, uh, notes that he doesn't trust Ned, who seems to the reader and, and probably to everyone else like the most honest guy around. He's like, oh, I don't trust you. I didn't trust you yet. Uh, I don't think anyone mm -hmm. trusts anybody around there. What a stressful world to live in. Yes. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, great food, though. So. <laughs> Sweet milk in the middle of summer. Yeah. So the frust frustrating part with Arya, uh, I think I don't know whose notes it is, but but somebody says, and I I agree with I agree with part of partially about this, but you know that George writes Arya at her level at her age, and so she you know she doesn't understand all these details. She gives them in a a staggeringly kind of mixed up jumbled way that she remembers them, and so it kind of explains why Ned doesn't put it together. But it still seems to me like she gives him enough, enough keywords that he should have been able to put it together. So, like, imagine you're at your job. I'm sure our listeners have tons of different jobs. But you're doing your job and you're kind of in your own world doing your thing. But you keep hearing kind of out of the corner, you know, 
out of the corner of your eye. You keep hearing <laughs> off to the side just these keywords of things that you've been dealing with, these things that you know about that that, that touch your world. This happens probably to almost everybody, and you're just like, wait a minute, i got to jump in and ask questions about this. I'm hearing these words mm. that I know and that I deal with all the time. I need to know more. Help help me understand what you're talking about here because I'm I'm worried that it's going to affect me or something, right? And, you know, net, like, the key word, like, bastard, right? Well, he just mm-hmm. spent, he's just been ruminating on what it means to, to have been found a bastard, right? And and that he doesn't know and, and all this stuff. Like, he's just given enough key words that I think he, I would think he would want to query Arya a little bit more on this. The wolf and the lion stuff would yes, stick out to me, absolutely. seemingly. It's like... It's glaringly obvious, and it, it's that's definitely what makes it so frustrating. But worse than that is that we haven't seen any evidence that, and somebody mentioned this in their notes, that Arya is like prone to exaggeration, that she goes off on you know little lying tangents, and if anything, she's the the most honest, forthright child that he has. But he's completely dismissive of her. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay, you're making this up. Wizards, come on. <laughs> yeah. When, whenever something seems glaringly obvious to me with these characters, and you guys know me by now, you're probably s- so sick of my spiels about writing to the level of characters and stuff like that. But I try to take a step back when something seems glaringly obvious and go, you know, what's going on around here? Let's put some context around this. Why would he make this type of decision? Why wouldn't Eddard act this way? I agree with you guys for the most part that – there's enough keywords and things going on there that would would seemingly make him perk up. If I could give any evidence to the contrary, it's some of the stuff that she says uh, that is does sound a little crazy. And I just imagine her talking at 300 miles a minute. Yeah. Like we can read this as slow as we want to, but in reality, you know, she's just blurting mm. stuff out. Probably. Well, I didn't mean to. I was down in the dungeons. Only turned into this tunnel. It was all dark, and I didn't have a choice or a candle to see by. So I had to follow. I couldn't go back the way I came. I counted the monsters. Father, they were talking about killing you, not the monsters. The two men. Mm. You know, like she's just going off yeah. and. Uh, He's tired. It's probably the middle of the night. He's been reading this really boring book. Um, he's probably just, you know, fried brain, the the type of brain that you've got when you've been up studying for an exam or something in university. Uh, he's just probably ready for bed and so relieved to see her and stuff like that. Um, relieved to see her. Also worried about her. He sees her con- her physical condition. Yeah. That's distracting mm-hmm. to him. He's like, we yeah. got to get Sirio out of here. You know, so like, I can kind of understand a little bit of his like, oh. This kid, but at the same time, I do agree that there's enough stuff there that should make his ears prick up a little bit. Mm. Uh, very, very fair, Matt. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. And and uh, Scott, I like your description of of when you when you hear something important, you're, you'll perk up. Even though I work in an open office environment, if I hear something important, I ignore it like a dumpster fire. <laughs> like whatever. <laughs> Don't want to do this. <laughs> Don't even want to know. Well, our, know. Roles, our roles are a little bit different, Brooke. Maybe, uh, maybe it's because you won't be uh, punished for ignoring that detail. <laughs> well, I will be. I just take it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very true. Okay, Scad, another Ned chapter, if you would, please. I, I would. Uh, I would. Winter is coming. Like a dire wolf prowling in the dark He'll take off your head But his friends call him Ned 
Warden of the North, yeah, he's Eddard Stark. Uh, okay. So, Ned, this is a... This is a come crashing down to Earth chapter for Ned. Uh, we start off uh, in the small council. A small council that Triple B has actually attended this time. And uh, he's going on and on about the fact that Daenerys Targaryen is pregnant. He, he wants Danny dead. He wants the child, the unborn child dead. He wants Viserys dead. He wants them all dead. Ned argues against killing this 14-year-old girl and an unborn child. Um, argues every point that he can think of. Uh, you know, maybe the child won't even be born. Maybe it'll be a girl. Maybe, uh, you know, they'll never be able to cross the sea with 50,000 Dothraki. It comes up with every possible scenario we can think of to try to convince Triple B not to have this girl murdered. And Bob is just too, he's, he's just stubborn about it. And he is too afraid. And he keeps pushing it. Ned eventually pushes it so far as to attack Robert's courage uh, and his honor, uh, at the end of it, and, uh, in the end, despite all those attacks and pushes from Ned, all of the council members, <laughs> except Ned and Selmy, who, who admits that it's just not honorable to kill someone in this way, that's Barris and Selmy, obviously the, uh, the head, uh, of the Kingsguard, uh, and... Who did fight for the Targaryens in Robert's Rebellion. And who did fight for that. the Targaryens in Robert's Rebellion, although I don't, I, I get the sense that he's loyal to, to Robert now. Uh, just that he doesn't find oh, sure. honor in this action. Sure. Um, mm. I just don't, yeah, I just want to point out, I don't think it's a, I don't think he's secretly working for the Targaryens or anything. But um, He seems like a super good guy. Yeah. But uh, in the end, it's Pycelle with the winning argument. He argues basically that the ends justify the means. That killing a girl and her unborn child now will save tens of thousands of lives uh, of war in the future, from, from the cause of war in the future. And everyone just falls all over him about how great a point that is. And so his argument wins the day, and they all vote uh, to do it. Ned, it's too much for him. He effectively resigns uh, as they talk about how they're going to do it. Um, he walks out of the room, heads back to tell Veon Poole, his kind of head of household, to get everything ready. They're going home. And... Uh, as he, he he thinks of heading home, he's reminded of the unsolved mystery that he has. It's just eaten at him that he hasn't figured out John Aaron's death and all the details around it, and uh, and and what's going on with with Robert and the Lannisters. And so he decides that he's going to go by boat by way of Dragonstone, so he can stop and stop and talk to Stannis Baratheon. So he sends Poole off to the docks to find a ship, but just then Peter Baelish, Littlefinger, shows up. He uh, drops a few points about the council. He convinced he convinced them not to use the Faceless Men, which is a super badass group of assassins, basically, uh, in the Free Cities, and to, instead to uh, promise a lordship to whoever uh, can kill Danny and her child, or unborn child. Uh, so the, it'll be, uh, you know, a colossal train of clowns trying instead of these super talented assassins. And he thinks that he's done a service to, to Ned for, for convincing them of that. So Peter then says, well, I hope you're not leaving town too soon. Uh, if you could stick around for a little bit, I'd love to take you to this brothel. As we've talked about in previous chapters, uh, Ned has had his men searching brothels uh, for some specific um, things uh, that Peter warned about before. Uh, they've been unable to find the right brothel. And Peter says, hey, I think I can take you to one that that uh, that will give you some good information. 
and uh, you know it's 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 just gonna be enough to keep Ned around. You know, readers want all sorts of things for Ned and his future. Some readers, I think, want Ned to sit the Iron Throne. In the end, some of them want Ned to just relax with his, uh, you know, with grandbabies sometime in the future at, at Winterfell. But, you know, what we get Ned right now for Ned is keeping himself in danger, not returning home. And uh, he's going to stick it out, I think, and go see this brothel. And that's where we are at the end of the chapter. Oh, I wanted him to go home so bad. Yeah. Just ignore so Littlefinger. Us... Get on the boat, man. Yeah. I'm in the camp of go back to Winterfell and just live your life. Well, I think we've seen evidence that, that – uh, that, this is way off topic. But I think we've seen evidence that Ned probably would be a pretty good king. And so right. you know, the readers that in the end want Ned to sit the Iron Throne, I get what they're getting at. I just think it would make him so unhappy, and I like Ned so much that I'd rather he just got out of there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was so frustrated when he told Littlefinger he was leaving. Yeah. Don't tell him that. Yeah. Don't give him your travel plans. Yeah. Oh, frustrating. I find it interesting that the conversation about killing Danny would actually make Ned just leave the next day. No word to Robert. Just well, I'm out. We're done. Boop. Well, I think I think it I think it lends a little bit to all the things I've been saying for so long, like that all this stuff should be adding up that he doesn't belong there. It's almost like this was just the last straw. It's like, I'm quitting. If I'm quitting, what business do I have here? I can't talk to the guy anyway. I just want to leave. Let's get out of here now. Part of him was suspicious too and nervous. He, you know, he's worried about uh, Lannisters. He now knows about Catelyn taking Tyrion. Uh, He's worried about not only Robert being ticked off, although he, I think he kind of thinks it'll blow over at the same time. And it's very possible it would just blow over with Baratheon's personality. Uh, But I think he's also a little worried about the Lannisters um, coming after him now, uh, now that he knows about Catelyn and he knows that if the Lannisters don't know yet, they will know soon. Um, And that's part of it. And they'll sure use, whatever ammunition they can get against Eddard to to come after him. And if he just resigns being the hand of the king and he's no longer in that position of power, you know, that's just that the Lannisters rubbing their hands together, that much easy to take him out. Um, I think he's nervous for his, his welfare and for his family's welfare too, and that's another reason for wanting to get the heck out of Dodge. Well, uh, do you want to talk about the landmine? Yeah. So... Uh, Several chapters ago, when when Robert and Ned were riding horses, and they had the discussion briefly about about killing the babies and killing the, the Targaryens when they took the city back all those years ago during the rebellion, and I, I talked about I talked about that conversation being a landmine, uh, something that it's just buried, and you both know it's buried. You you don't want to bring it up, but it's always there, and somebody could step on it at any point, and. Danny being pregnant has <laughs> caused them to step on this landmine, and their relationship goes from Ned having all this hope, seeing himself as as Robert's only friend, as Varys told him, having this great breakfast and discussion with with uh, Triple B, where he feels like they're they're friends again and they're getting along, and 
Robert they're Wilson's making headway. Doing, they're making yeah. headway. He thinks that he could present information if he found it, and, and Robert would listen to him. It's you know Ned's high point so far of of his of his business's hand, and then this happens, and the landmine comes back up, and they're reminded that they disagree about the murder of children and what it means uh, to stay in power, and it just blows up, and he can't handle it, and he's too principled, and he's you know he's gonna quit. Just crazy. Totally hauled it. Well, I had an advantage of having read the books before. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But even so, um, it is a matter of his principles, and that is what it takes. I mean, he's seen <laughs> all the other ways that Robert has completely ruined the kingdom through his misruling and still willing to forgive him and work with him to make amends and to make changes. But with this, he's like, nope. We will never see eye to eye. Goodbye. Right. He's got these visions of these two dead children uh, laying in front of him in the, you know, the throne room. And to Eddard, that I think that tainted a little bit the whole of Robert's rebellion. Everything that he fought for is a little bit tainted from those visions of seeing those two dead kids um, laying on the floor. Uh, the, The Targaryen kids, Rhaegar's kids. And, um, yeah, this is just not something you bring up with him. What would you guys have done? You're on the small council. Would you have stood with Ned like old Selmy? Oh, for sure. Yeah. But well, yeah, I'm generally... <laughs> I would have never made it to the small council in the first place. Yeah, yeah I'm generally against the murder of children. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, what kind of question is that? <laughs> what? I don't you know. wouldn't? <laughs> Um, the ends never justify the means when you're killing your um, constituents. Some would say they're not these constituents. Yeah. They're a COA. These people have no idea who they are. It's easy to separate yourself from them. And I'm not saying I'm for it, but Pycelle makes a, a rather compelling argument, honestly, of, you know, to die so that thousands don't have to. Oh, sorry, I thought you meant the original kids, but yeah, no, either way. Oh, okay, the throne room kids, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, um, I did I did just kind of jump back and forth from the two stories. I'm talking about Danny and, and yeah. her unborn child. Uh, it's a rather compelling argument. This is coming from a father of three who's a very active father and loves his kids very much. But uh, when you've got a whole kingdom to run, that's that's not an... Oh, an yeah. easy argument in you my opinion. Me. Yeah, I probably I probably would have voted for killing her. Yeah, I, in the no, end, in the, in the end, because I wasn't trying to convince you to kill him. No, because... <laughs> I wasn't arguing pro Pycelle. <laughs> I mean, well, in a in a in a vacuum, I would say no. You know, don't kill them. But to be on the small council to get where you've gotten to to get to that place, you have to be a very self serving kind of, you know obsequious kind of person and you you know you probably do just give in to what the king wants you probably have to you're just like you know what yeah i'm for it and if anything i'm 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 trying to build up ned and barristan selmy here and saying that despite all of that they still stood firm and went nope ain't gonna do it especially ned you know i'm out of here see you bud i might have done it more the way selmy did than ned did yeah selmy did it in a way like you know what i just don't think it's honorable my vote is no you know, you know, it's like, um, yeah. you know, those people like when you're having votes or something or you're, you're having a discussion and, and people are coming down on different sides and the guy that the, the, the really lame ass guy, there's a guy, well, I, I won't out him at work. 
do totally it. He does this. Uh, no, I'm not doing it. But but he just kind of like waits around and waits until the issue's decided. And if, once it's decided, your opinion doesn't matter, right? Selmy can tell where this vote's going already. He's like, you know mm-hmm. what? Doesn't matter. This vote's going to go that way. I'll tell him what I really think, but I'll just do it in a way that doesn't matter. I'm not going to resign oh. or anything. I'll just be like, yeah, I'm against it. It's not honorable. He Scott, did. I can't believe you outed me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's Well, to my knowledge, though, nobody looked at an alternative. It was kill or live. Right. It wasn't yes. take capture them, bring them back to uh, Westeros and... I don't know, uh, uh, put them up in a really nice prison like the Tower of London so that people could see that Robert is still very powerful, but he's not killing any children. Like, not, I'm not saying that was the best alternative, but no alternative was even explored. Uh, we are, we are uh, running a little late on time. Do you guys want to keep going here? I'm good. We can go Catelyn. All right. Words will cut you like Valyrian steel through a hand. She can't love Jon Snow And she's sure to let you know Where she stands A devoted mother Who married the brother Of her dead fiancé She's vengeful and hateful Loving and faithful She's Catelyn Catelyn Stark So, Catelyn Stark They get to the bloody gate We find out that they Uh actually have another little battle with mountain clansmen where they lose a couple more guys. And so they're this ragged bunch that finally gets to the Vale, and one of the Vale soldiers comes out to meet them, and in a rather no-duh moment, informs them that the road is no longer safe. <laughs> <laughs> I would have hey, just Dick, punched him right before? in the face. Yeah. <laughs> you should have told us you were coming because the road's no longer safe. Like, what a dick. Uh, Can you put up a sign? it's interesting now that Tyrion's no longer looking much like a prisoner not only does he not have any bonds on uh, in terms of chains or anything but he's also carrying an axe he's carrying a little dirk and he's even got a coat from one of the men he killed uh, or one of the men who was killed Uh, they are met at the gate by Brendan Tolley a really cool character who we're introduced to in this chapter he holds the position of Knight of the Gate uh, which is a a fairly honorary position in the veil of uh, the guy who kind of watches over the gate and and is the one who lets people in and out of the veil he is as his name suggests he is a Tolley he is Catelyn and Lysa's uncle he is the brother to Catelyn's dad so he's this really cool uncle that sounds like he was just the one that everyone loved and trusted and everything. However, he had a follow, falling out with his brother, uh, Catelyn's dad, ended up leaving River Run, which is where the Tollies reside, and he followed Lysa and John Aaron to the Vale and entered into their service. So it's cool to to meet him, and, and Catelyn has a nice chat with him, and he proves to be a very logical thinker and someone that Catelyn can bounce ideas off of and expect an honest answer in return. They arrive in the Vale, which is this beautiful, lovely place. It's the type of place I think anyone would be tempted to live in. Uh, and everyone's tired, though, wounded, injured, all sorts of stuff. A lot of them decide to just wait around and head up to the castle in the morning or at a later time to see Liza Aaron. But Kat, you know, wants to get there as quick as she can. So she goes with Tyrion. 
Interestingly enough, Braun says that he's going with them too. Braun was the sellsword who's been traveling with them. Uh, sellsword meaning mercenary. And uh, interesting that uh, he wants to keep hanging out with Tyrion. They've started this budding little friendship. Catelyn's suspicious of letting them go, but she's already said someone else can go. Marillion, the singer from way back, um, he's been traveling with them this whole time and he wants to go up too. So she feels like she has to let Braun as well. Anyways, they get to this mountain and we realize just what an ordeal is to get to this castle. Once you're inside the Vale, uh, you have to get to the actual palace or the actual castle where Lysa resides. And it's on this huge mountain that has three smaller kind of way castles on the way up that you have to get past on your way to the very top. They're called Stone, Snow, and Sky. And it's this huge ordeal to get up there. It's crazy. I can't believe it. Um, incredibly well protected. Uh, the only way I think you could really win a battle against if you'd gotten into the Vale of Aaron is by starving these people out because you're not going to take this castle by force. So she decides to make the trek up there, and we meet another cool character named Maya Stone, who's a bastard. And of course, Catelyn uh, is like thinking bad thoughts about Maya because she's a bastard, and your your stereotypes are showing Catelyn. She's just a jerk um, <laughs> when it comes to that stuff. Uh, so, but Maya is an expert at getting to the top, and she's going to guide. Catelyn and the rest of the crew up there. It's a combination of mules and climbing for getting up this mountain. You take mules part of the way, you have to climb certain ways, and it's a really crazy ordeal that scares the crap out of Catelyn, and reluctantly she ends up having to rely on Maya to get her there because she's so scared. She She's frozen at some point. She can't even move on this long trip up there. Uh, she eventually says that she'll take the um, more humiliating uh, alternative, which is to ride in a basket up to the top and they use a pulley system to pull you up there. It's usually how they get supplies and food up there, but they'll also give the wusses a ride up if they want it. <laughs> Catelyn decides she takes it with the excuse that she's tired from everything she's been through. They get up there and she meets with her sister, Liza. It's been quite a while since they've seen each other. I can't remember exactly how long, but the meeting seems to be a joyous one at first until everyone who is there in the room with them leaves. And then Liza does a complete 180 and turns into this complete witch on her. What are you doing here? How could you bring Tyrion here? She completely freaks out, um, uh, which takes uh, Catelyn by surprise, obviously. Around this time, we're introduced to yet another uh, rather important character, Robert Aaron, the son of Lysa and John, who is uh, this small, kind of sniveling little six-year-old boy who appears to be a little bit weakly, not the kind of robust brannish type figure that you would expect, especially for someone that is the heir to the Vale of Aaron one day and is expected to hold a high leadership position. Uh, Brendan had told Kat beforehand that Robert is sickly. Um, he likes to play with dolls and things like that. And uh, this six-year-old boy, to in the very last part of the chapter, climbs up on mommy's lap, pulls down her shirt, and starts breastfeeding on her. Six years old, all his teeth, gross, um, and the and and we end the chapter there. So that puts uh, your whole warm milk conversation in a whole new light. There's only one thing to talk about in this chapter. 
That's so, a six-year-old breastfeeding. Let's. My kids <laughs> are five and in kindergarten. And that's just, I can't even consider that. It, it doesn't even enter into my mind. When did they leave but, the teat? Um, they didn't do much of it in the first place. Uh, it was mostly formula fed um, with them being twins and all. But uh, it wasn't, mm. it definitely was not more than a year, I think so. That's intense. For health yeah. reasons, doctors usually recommend breastfeeding to a year. Um, right. If you if you can only uh, a year, uh, at least to a year, uh, but it usually huh. doesn't last longer than two. I I think that this going back to the final thing that John Aaron said to Lysa and Robert Baratheon before he died, he said the seed is strong. Remember that? And um, Lysa was positive that John was talking about their son Robert at that point. Uh, I think this makes it completely obvious that we can scratch off um, Robert Aaron as on the list of potential people John Aaron was talking about when he made that film. <laughs> I also want to talk about John Aaron for a minute. Like, everything you hear about this guy is that he was well-liked, he was a good guy. Good he did a great job raising Ned and Robert. Did a good job with Ned and Robert. What the hell happened here? Like, why is, why is he letting this happen to, to young Robert Aaron? You know what I mean? Why? Mm-hmm. Why he he's only been dead for a little while. He could have put his foot down a long time ago about the breastfeeding. He could have done a lot more things to develop in him in a stronger way before now. Seems wow. Seems odd. We've we've gotten just, a lot of he... evidence of of how stressful the king's hand position yeah. is. Yeah. And also how easy it is if you if you have a cantankerous wife who you got shackled with because of an arranged marriage your best solution is just to let her do whatever she wants and ignore her. <laughs> Get some space. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, sounds like the solution he went with. Right. right. I'm just saying that uh, maybe he's not as great a dude as everyone thinks. If he lets no, yeah. that happen. For sure. But if his, if his greatest flaw is, um, lazy oh, parenting, called? uh, <laughs> you've come down I, on I, that before on this podcast. Lazy he, he is also very old at this point, too. I know that, like, I had a best friend growing up, and he was, like, Lucky. 11 or 12 years younger than the next youngest sibling. Ooh. And he could potentially do anything he wanted. <laughs> like, he, he just lived his own life because his parents were like, we're done. You know, like everyone else was moved out. He was the only one home and uh, they were just tired. Like they'd done their parenting in their opinion. It could have something to do with that. Plus his job. Yeah. Anyway, we don't need to spend we any just more don't time know. on it. Yeah, yeah. There, there might have been neglect in place, but I also think that poor Robert Aaron kind of caught the stick because George, as you pointed out, did need some way to back up the seed is strong theory applying to Robert's bastards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <That> poor kid. <laughs> Otherwise he might've been lovely. <laughs> I mean... You get to play with dolls and breastfeed. <laughs> yeah. And anything else that we want to discuss here? Um, I love Tyrion's change in position from when he started this ordeal. <laughs> But he got brought up there too. Brawn and Tyrion. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. 
Braun is an, uh, an excellent character. I love him. But and yeah. uh, just th- uh, shout out to the Blackfish. Um, he seems like a cool guy. I didn't mention that in my summary. They call him the Blackfish, and that's I think kind of a reference to uh, like the Ugly Duckling type thing, where he the 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 cat the Tolly's kind of mascot is a fish. Um, being close to rivers and things like that. And so when Brendan Tully kind of separated himself from the family, he took on the sigil of a blackfish, meaning he's kind of a Tully but apart. And so a uh, great nickname. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one, last, one last small thing I just thought of when you were giving your chapter summary, Matt, uh, about Catelyn using her tiredness as the excuse to ride up in the basket. I don't know that she could have climbed... They they talk about the last one really being more like a stone ladder, and her hands are still pretty jacked up. I don't know if she'd have been able to even climb. Good point, man. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. point. In I, I would have. Well, in her defense, I would have taken the basket a lot earlier. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> you got a basket? Done. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but I, I think the basket's only an option for that last stretch. I don't think they have it for the other two. I'd take um, it as soon as I could. All Done. right. Hard stop. Excellent. So, uh oh, crap. You know what? I forgot to make notes of what the chapters are for next week. I've got them right here. Okay, go ahead. And next week's chapters are Eddard's ninth. Gosh, we get two Eddard chapters again. So, Eddard's ninth, Daenerys's fourth, Bran's fifth, Tyrion's fifth, and Eddard's tenth are next week. I don't have the numbers right. with me, though. No, that's cool. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We are now leaving our regularly scheduled podcast and entering Davos After Dark, where we're about to get a little bit spoilery. So for those who are leaving us now, thank you again and have a great week. Davos After Dark. All right. Take us there, Skitch. Uh, Who's Skitch? Yeah. That's a line from that that thing you do. Wow. One of my favorite movies. You know the drummer from that? He's in a Z Nation, a new zombie show. It's Uh. terrible. (laughs) It is so terrible. Oh, and it got good reviews. I was like, this sounds promising. I need a little, like, Walking Dead buffer in there. Just a little filler for when I can't get my Walking Dead fix. And it is awful. It's not good. I I watched uh, about an episode and a half of it. It's not good. Poor production value, bad script, actors are terrible. Just yeah. it's just a it's just a dumper. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. But uh, who's watching Walking Dead this season? Uh, I'm supposed to be doing it tonight. I have a, a standing engagement with a cop, a friend, some friends of ours that we get together and watch it every night. But I canceled so that we could do this. Oh, thanks for the sacrifice. Yeah, they were pissed. I don't watch Walking Dead. What? Ugh. Okay, we'll take this offline. (laughs) (sighs) Anyways, um, so lots of good things to talk about. Now, I didn't mention, and you brought this up briefly, Scad, in Arya's chapter, that it was Varys and uh, Illyrio talking in the caves. Well, you you were like, well, we didn't touch on the Varys stuff. Uh, No, I I said that about Ned's chapter. Oh, when... I thought you said it about my chapter. Sorry. He did, but I don't know that he said Varys' name. Okay. I thought I said it at the end of Ed, of Eddard's chapter about uh, 
about the Varus not trusting Ned stuff. Well, maybe not. Uh, hey, Davos After Dark listeners. This is Matt just reporting from the editing room. Uh, we actually did bring up the name of Varus back in the original podcast. We decided to edit it out completely so as not to give it away for our listeners who are reading for the first time. So that's why you don't hear it there, but you hear it talked about here. So carry on. Whatever the case, I, I did decide not to reveal their identities because, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure that it's all that important. And also it would be considered a spoiler, right? Just give it away. It's, I think it's super important, but I agree with you that we shouldn't have revealed it yet. Okay. Because of the fact of, of spoilers. Arya doesn't know. Um uh. If our if our if our readers don't know yet, let's let's let them figure it out rather than spoon feed it to them. I agreed with your decision. I agreed with your decision too, and you're right. I shouldn't have said his name. The name is in the notes, and I wanted to talk about the birds thing. I should have said we didn't get to talk about the birds thing, and I said we didn't. Oh, talk about the right. Okay. Sorry, okay. that's my bad. I agreed with your decision also. Oh, there was just so much in these chapters. I know that I called them duds before, but they weren't. Yeah. We are really getting into it. An hour and a half is not long enough anymore. Yeah. Um, so, um, somebody made a really interesting note in their Davos After Dark notes. Uh, when did you figure out that the kids weren't Roberts? The sign seems so obvious now, but I don't think I had it figured out yet. For me, I, I, I seem to recall figuring it out pretty early just because George is so liberal with the descriptions of what the kids look like and just like general knowledge of genetics and Robert being very dark and swarthy and the kids being very blonde and, and just little, little shits. I feel like, I don't, I, I feel like there, is there a chapter that we haven't got to yet where he's reading the book and it just says, Dark head, dark head, dark hair, dark head, or something. Or is that from the show? Because no, that's from the book, and we've already mm-hmm. read it. It's yeah. from when he first uh, receives the book from Pycelle, mm-hmm. and he just kind of starts flipping through it. That's what he sees. It's just descriptions and physical descriptions of old houses. So that's when you figured it out? No, actually, I I, I figured it out because <laughs> Jamie and Circe bump and uglies. <laughs> like the biggest clue there was yeah yeah (laughs) i don't remember when i figured it out i know it was before the reveal Uh, and i and i agree with brooke it it was i i just don't remember but i know it was i it had something to do with jamie and cersei's physical relationship uh i don't think the clues from the book hit me quite as hard as they probably should have much to my discredit Because they're very obvious that? now. Well, I don't know. That's that's why I asked the question. I can't remember. I I, I don't remember what it was that, that finally clued me in. I, I'm a really bad reader, I think, on the first time. I'm, I'm just reading so fast and consuming because I love it so much. I don't I don't take the time to to stop and think through things. Uh, you're not the only one. The, yeah. You just want to advance the story your first read through. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. very hard to sit back and, and take it slowly. Yeah. That's what we're here for. You're Indeed. welcome, listeners. You're yeah, welcome. right. Do we want to talk about the birds oh, yeah. and stuff? Um, Varys and the birds? So, right. So he had requested 50 more little birds from Illyrio, right? To bring them over across the sea into Westeros. Yeah. So presumably he's 
not slave trading necessarily, but bringing homeless people, homeless children from one part of the world into the next. So perhaps he has more control over them. Perhaps they are already outfitted with the skills to be his little spies. Hard to say, but it is disturbing that they're using children. Yeah, especially given the history that Varys has. The fact that he's doing this to the little kids, I don't know, it just seems... seems... It's kind of smart, really. I mean, (laughs) thinking... Look at look at Arya and how much she found out just by sneaking around. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're little and and uh, even when Arya first encountered the prince and princess, one of the guards was like, "Ah, oh, they're all around here. They're like little rats. Yeah. Can't get rid of them." That's and the biggest thing for me. I, I seriously think it's not anything intellectual that it has to do with kids. I think a lot of it has to do with the physical characteristics of children. Not only can they get in and out of those secret passageways of the castle a lot easier, of the keep, but um, but uh, they're, they, they're better at being inconspicuous. But, but did you catch this? He cuts their tongues out? Uh, I didn't catch that. I don't what? know that that was explicitly stated. It wasn't explicitly stated. It was hinted at. Let me see if it's in the notes here. Well, how can they um, report back to him if they if they have their tongues cut out? He says, uh, I'll, you guys keep talking. I'll find it. Right. Well, <laughs> they could write stuff down for him, but it seems like it's safer to do it vocally so you don't have a paper trail. I think cutting mm-hmm. tongues out would be detri- more detrimental than helpful for what so, he wants them to do. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just some of the tongues to send a message to the other This is kids. what it says. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, I'll just go, I'll give the whole thing real quick. <clears throat> he asked for 50, then he says, so many? The voices were fainter as the light dwindled ahead of her. The ones you need are hard to find, so young, to know their letters, perhaps older, not die so easy. No, the younger are safer, treat them gently. If they kept their tongues, the risk. Oh, right. I think no. they just mean, that's just like a saying to say, keep quiet, keep yeah. eating your tongue. Right. I don't think they're cutting out tongues. Is my interpretation. Keeping your mouth shut. Maybe. But what does the risk refer to then? Uh, Yeah. That could be anything. As they're fading off into the distance. Thanks, George. Yeah. Um, But it... So... Yeah, so Varys obviously in cahoots with Illyrio, who has been hosting uh, Viserys and Danny their entire lives, keeping them alive, keeping them safe, um, and... So what's what's the end game here? Is Varys trying to get the Targaryens back into power? Well, it yeah, I mean that's what so. I hinted at. He's done a lot of That's what he says at the end the of That's what he he says at the end of Dance with Dragons. Now that does come from uh the very last chapter in Dance with Dragons is from oh, what's his name? Lannister. Kevin, Kevin Lannister, Lannister right before he dies and Varys admits to him out loud that he's in it to put Danny back on the throne. But oh, we've never No, that. no. No. He says in that chapter that he's uh, in Aegon. it to put Aegon on the throne. Aegon on the throne. Yep. Uh and so but that's what he says. Yes. Now to Kevin, this is yes. from Kevin's point of view. Yep. Can is there something more going on? I don't know. Uh, Illyrio and Varys go way back. Yes. They are best friends. They, you know, kind of grew up together and came into prominence together. Illyrio owes a lot of his, uh, riches to Varys. And, um... Yeah, I, I read up on that history a little bit. Varys used to steal shit, and Illyrio would sell it back to the original owners. Right. 
Yeah, that's how they that's how they made their fortune. Yeah. I find it interesting that Illyrio would come all the way over to Westeros to have these conversations. Yes. Like very weird. That's a long journey. He has a lot going on business wise um on the other side. But yeah, uh That's 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 what I don't quite understand is Illyrio's in game. On the surface it seems like he wants Targaryens on the throne because he helped them and so now he can be in good standing with them going forward if the Targaryens are on the throne, but he's already like, he's set, like he's, he's uber rich. He probably couldn't ever spend as much riches as he has. There are I, theories. Do you want them? I I yeah. know what, I, I have a feeling of what some of them are. You mentioned one in your notes, but uh, again, I, well, one of the theories is that, is that Aegon is actually Illyrio's child. Right. <clears throat> and, uh, that they're trying to get Illyrio's child on the throne. They're pretending that Illyrio's child is Aegon, uh, and that there was a baby switch before the little child's head was dashed against the walls when the Red Keep was taken at Robert's Rebellion, and that that child is is now Aegon. But the theory is that, that Aegon is really Illyrio's kid, and all of this plotting is to get Illyrio's kid on the throne. Not, I, I would say even not necessarily um, uh, that, that it's that unnoble, uh, ignoble of, of a plan, the, the Aegon kid that you read way back in, in the fifth book, <laughs> when you get to him, he's well-trained, he's well-mannered, he's taught that the public and the peasants have value, he's, you know, he's kind of this, kind of this good kid, and, you know, Varys is, we've talked about Varys before, and now he's always saying, well, I'm, everything I do is for the good of the realm, for the good of the realm, and, Maybe what he thinks is this well-mannered child of Illyrio's is the best thing for the realm. Mm. And that and that description you just gave of Aegon is, in George R. R. Martin's world, the, the death sentence. <laughs> 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 He's so good, he is sure to die. Yeah. Uh, I, I read a little bit of that before I, I stopped reading uh, of that theory. I, I'm great at not reading the theories. I, I just can't. It's just me. Uh why would Illyrio support Danny so much, though, if he wanted to put Aegon on the throne and giving her dragon eggs, for example? Wouldn't he want his son to have the dragon eggs? Well, he knows that his son is fake and could not wake them would be one reason. Okay. Um, but and maybe he puts still some stock into um, Danny and Aegon hooking up. Well, no. So. So, Aegon, if believed to be real, would be the heir. Danny, I think he thinks, would be um, would be supportive of his claim. I think that's what he's hoping. That Danny would have the dragons. Danny would support Aegon's legitimate claim because it's his. She, Aegon would be Danny's nephew, um, and she would support him with her dragons. And that's why that, that's what I would say is why Illyrio is spending so much support on Danny. That is an interesting theory. It could just be more simple in that he supports Varys, who has given him a lot of good tips in the past. And, uh, yeah, that he's just very thirsty for more power and wealth. Yeah. I, I like the Aegon kid. I don't think he's going to have much of an end game. At some point, George has to <laughs> sure. start, has to start, uh, 
tying people up and he's only got two books left, right? Like, and I think, I think Aegon's going to be a little ruse for us for a while and he's going to die. But I don't think, I, I don't think they've, they introduced this character towards the fourth and fifth books. And all of a sudden he makes a huge difference to the end story. I've had it with it. ruses. That Quentin Martell shit was like the most annoying thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> what a waste of time. What did that guy do? I think I read somewhere that Varys and Illyrio could be Blackfire Targaryens or some crap like that. I don't know. But... Yep. Yeah, that's kind of a, a similar veined theory to the one I presented. Yeah. Anyways. But yeah, All right. And anything else that you guys want to discuss? Maya Stone? Yeah. So the way she's described through Catelyn, who's dismissive of ba- bastards, very obviously the bastard that Robert spoke of, that or, or that uh, Ned thought about mm-hmm. that Robert left in the Vale when they were um, uh, sponsored there as as teens, at least in my eyes. Dark hair. Yeah. Just to, just further evidence. Yeah. Yeah. So there's another potential for the throne that uh, will be tucked away, perhaps marched back out in one of the final two books. I don't think she ever dies, does she? No, no, I don't think she'd be a candidate for the throne. Um, I I don't think the Bartharians are out of the running yet. Well, none of them are legitimized. If Stannis were to legitimize them, they could, but we know how he feels about bastards and about Mm. all that kind of stuff. But sometimes I think all these bastards are just set up as evidence characters. Yeah. Like, the Maya's whole purpose for existence is just to further the proof about Robert's bastards and their appearance and stuff like that. I don't, I don't know. But again, there's so many characters and at some point you got to start cutting them off, right? Like you got two books left, George. Yeah. <laughs> if you stick to what you say, I'm a and... huge Gendry fan and I'm slowly coming to the realization that probably he just doesn't matter. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, that's pro- true. Probably he just doesn't matter. And I'm like, no, he's got to, like, get a hammer and, and lead an army or something. No, probably probably not. When you look at all the characters they have in front of them, yeah, so you realize that yeah, some of these guys aren't going to last much longer. Braun will probably not sit the Iron Throne, much to my dismay. <laughs> we can hope. Yeah, all right. All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up then. Let's wrap it up. Oh, final uh... question. Yes or no? Okay. Do you think uh, Robert's anger at Ned for him walking out would have lasted over the Danny debate? I think he would have stayed pissed at him enough to that Ned's worries would have been justified. Yes or no? No. I think it would have gone just back no, to business. No, he would have gotten over it. Okay. Yeah, like, like in your notes, he's a classic hug it out bitch type of guy. Yeah. <laughs> Except for Targaryens. He can't well, let it go yeah. Yeah. Oh, hard to say. I guess, well, we'll never know, but yeah. I think he would have softened to it eventually. There, there as, are lines. As, Stealing someone's lover and raping and killing them is a line maybe that doesn't allow hugging it out. Um, and that's the way he views what happened. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a line that couldn't be crossed. But uh, there were some interesting Liana. bits in these I wanted readings. to talk so much about Liana tonight. Ah, oh, we didn't get to it. I know. Okay. There's a lot of stuff about Ned. Ned's references to Liana. 
uh, and you know you didn't know her like I did, um, that kind of stuff. Just very interesting little hints about hints Robert. that Le- Liana didn't feel the same way yes. about Robert that that was not reciprocated at all. Yeah, on yeah, her absolutely. Part. Yeah. By the way, to our listeners, uh, she's in love with Rager. If you, yep. I know we're trying to cut it off, but uh, to our listeners, if you have uh, interest in the uh, R plus L equals J thread, go to it's another podcast called Radio Westeros. They have an episode entirely dedicated to Rhaegar plus Lyanna equals John. They go through all of the evidence through all of the books and their theories and what's going on and all this kind of stuff, but but they do a, a great job encapsulating all of the information. And so if you're interested in that, uh, check it out. Radio Westeros, you can find them on iTunes. Um, I'll tweet out uh, a link to that too. Good stuff. All right. All right. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. And uh, we will talk to you in two weeks. Hola.